Okay, we're in John chapter 11, and I'll be reading from verse 47 to the end of the chapter. John chapter 11, beginning with verse 47. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees and council, and said, What do we for this man do with many miracles? For we, if we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spoke he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth they took counsel together to put him to death. Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews, but went from there unto a country near to the wilderness, into a city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples. And the Jews' Passover was near at hand, and many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then sought they for Jesus, and spoke among themselves, as they stood in the temple, What think ye that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man knew where he were, he should show it, that they might take him. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for the reading of the scripture this afternoon. We pray, Lord, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to teach it to our hearts, to show us those spiritual things, those teachings which would edify us in faith, and those which will glorify God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we have uh, come to the close of this narrative in chapter 11, uh, we find that uh, the, uh, of course, the Sanhedrin, the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, the religious rulers were still looking to capture Christ. Of course, uh, they had heard of the miraculous miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. And uh, because of these things, which were a great disturbance to the status quo of the religious uh, uh, authority, well, we find that Jesus became a problem for the uh, Sanhedrin um, and that uh, they were concerned that the populace would uh, throng after him, even to the point that they might uh, try to make him a king over their nation. Uh, this afternoon we're going to be looking at um, this uh, last section under the topic of all prophecy is of God. And the reason I said that is because here we find that there is a very uncertain person who gives a prophetic statement. And so it is sometimes it is good for us to realize concerning the prophecy of God and where it comes from and what it is 
What's the purpose of it? So we're going to talk about that as we go through this. First of all, they plot to kill Jesus. Uh, we know this was an ongoing um, situation that the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, those were uh, they were seeking to get rid of this troublesome fellow, as they might call him. And certainly the, his teachings were upsetting uh, to them. And not only so, but the miracles which he did. And the fact that he was doing many of these things, which he did, on the Sabbath day. Uh, which uh, to the scribes and Pharisees, of course, was to break the Sabbath law. And uh, so they, they did um, become quite disturbed over uh, the fact that Christ was doing these things. Um, and of course they themselves, not believing that he is the true Messiah of God, and in unbelief themselves, uh, were resistant to the works of Christ. And secondly, the prophecy of, of Caiaphas predicts that Jesus must die. This uh, would come quite unexpectedly, perhaps, from, from that quarter. Uh, Caiaphas was the high priest. He was a son-in-law of Annas, he, who was also high priest before him. And we find that at this particular juncture in history, we find that the Roman authority was using these people in their particular offices. And so he, the, it is believed that actually the Roman government uh, would put Caiaphas in his position, probably by political and religious motive that uh, they would see him in, in this position and give him that authority, believing that there would be some advantage to the Roman government. Uh, but Caiaphas makes a very bold statement concerning Christ that uh, one must die for the nation. And then uh, we find that Jesus' death was to gather in one the children of God. Um, of course, these words were in explanation of that prophecy, and that John, speaking under the inspiration of the Scripture, would say these words concerning the statement that Caiaphas made, which would, in our thinking, uh, not only expand the whole concept of the prophecy, uh, but it would uh, show how that the fulfillment of that prophecy, namely Caiaphas's prophecy, would in fact uh, be in line with the word of God. And so these are the areas we want to, to look at this afternoon. Uh, first of all, prophecy is not of any private interpretation even if evil men give a prophecy. For all true revelation is of God and meant to be fulfilled for the glory of God. Such were those words by the high priest that year when the Passover was nigh and Jesus was approaching the hour of his fulfillment. His adversaries were close to capturing him because they tried many times to do this, and uh, forever wanted to silence him. Yet the most important part of his mission as Messiah was about to be fulfilled. A traitor sat at the table with him. Another loyal friend would betray him, and all the disciples would scatter like sheep without a shepherd. 
Yet we find that the Lord would use all of these events in a very important way to bring about the purposes of God. And we find that even one would anoint the head of Jesus with oil poured upon him. And Jesus said that it would be against the day of my burial that she has done this. And so when we, when we consider the, the circumstances and those things that were going on, we understand that God is the one who is truly the author of all of these circumstances. And that man becomes used in the hand of God to fulfill God's sovereign purpose. And so these are the areas we will look at. Uh, the plot was to kill Jesus. The prophecy of Caiaphas predicts that Jesus must die. And Jesus' death was to gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. And so um, because the word of God then is given by the Holy Spirit of God, even evil men may be used to ensure the fulfillment of the prophetic word of God without any violation of the sovereignty of God. And so let us look at this first area um, in verse 47 and 48. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we for this man doeth many miracles? We find then that um, the, as the chief uh, priests, as the Pharisees and the councils came together, they began to uh, talk about the problem. What do we do with this man? What do we do with Jesus? You see. And, uh, and so these chief priests and the Pharisees um, are seen basically, and we have accounts in all four Gospels, of the Pharisees and how they become the principal opponent to Christ in his public ministry. Uh, they are forever questioning the Lord in what he is doing and why he is doing it. Um, they lack political power, however, because we know that Rome is in control. And uh, they are not really considering uh, the Lord Jesus Christ for who he truly is as the Messiah of God. Yet we find that these events will unfold, that the, the will of God may be accomplished. And so the council of the Sanhedrin feared what might happen if they allowed Jesus to continue his public ministry. Because why? He was popular, uh, he was well respected as a teacher, and many people gathered to to hear him. Um, one comment says this, Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees. The Pharisees as such had no power to assemble councils, and therefore only those are meant who were scribes and elders of the people. And so, in other words, the Pharisees looked to the Sanhedrin to handle these these affairs. The Pharisees may have brought attention to them, uh, but the scribes and the elders, those who, was in, who were in authority in the Sanhedrin, 
Um, even the Sadducees had some role to play in this because it is believed, according to Josephus, who was a historian at, the, at that time, uh, that uh, Caiaphas, the son-in-law of Annas, was in fact himself a Sadducee. And so these, these uh, political and religious um, authorities uh, were very much uh, in play against uh, the Lord Jesus and trying to undo his, uh, uh, his work as God has sent him to do it. And of course, uh, the very last miracle which Jesus did was incontestable. I mean, if you're going to raise somebody from the dead in public with many Jews around, with many mourners there, with uh, uh, people from the home of uh, the fellowship of Bethany, that town of Bethany, being well aware of what is going on, Mary and Martha being there, the disciples being there, it was just much too public to be contested. In fact, the, they, uh, we find in chapter 11 here that, that those people who were in, uh, in favor of the Pharisees uh, went back and told everything to the Pharisees what had happened, how that Jesus called forth Lazarus from the grave. And this being such a great miracle that now it just uh, made the, the situation much more serious in the minds of those who wanted to dispose of Jesus. And so we may say that um, the unbelief of these who threatened the Lord Jesus Christ um, was growing. It was, uh, it was that they, the threat that, he, that they posed against Christ was growing. The fact that they, un, they did not believe who Jesus was uh, was uh, also at the forefront. And um, we, you may ask the question, well, why wouldn't they believe that he was truly the Messiah of God? Well, probably it would be for this reason, that wherever someone's authority is being challenged, um, such as in the case of the Pharisees or the Sanhedrin, um, they may believe and they may suspect that whoever is challenging that authority is trying to gain that authority for themselves. And so their, their, their hold, their grip over the, the nation of Israel, having the authority over the, over the Jewish people, and uh, being able to control the people and their religious uh, system, and even having political ties to Rome themselves, um, this was no small thing. Uh, to have Jesus threaten all of that meant that the people could uh, usher in Christ as a kingdom on earth, as a kingdom ruler. And uh, they, could, they could not do that. They could not have that. So he must be stopped. They must plot to kill him. And they would. And they would. And so this, this plot was beginning to thicken, as we might say, uh, when uh, these events coming more closely together. And so the people saw the miracles of Jesus as a confirmation that he indeed was the Christ and promised Messiah. So over against the Pharisees who were threatened and the Sanhedrin who was threatened by Christ, the populace were not threatened by Christ. 
but rather they were in favor of everything he was doing. And they even believed, many of them even believed that he must be the true Messiah of God. Uh, and so um, then the mob, all the populace, became a threat to the Sanhedrin as well. And so uh, we find the unusual thing here is, in verse uh, 48, if we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. Um, they, they felt that threatened over what Christ was doing. Interestingly, in verse 47, even these people who were opponents of Christ believed that he was doing great miracles. It says, for this man doeth many miracles. You know, it's, it's, uh, as much as we would say that should turn their opinion to be in favor of Christ, but it rather had the opposite effect. It just said he's getting too much of a problem. He is too much of a problem for us. We have to get rid of him. Uh, so these events being as they were, the big council, uh, the, the big question the council uh, would, would ask is this. What are we going to do? What are we going to do, you see? And, uh, and so they, they uh, don't know exactly what to do. Uh, with this man. In verse 49, And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, You know nothing at all. Uh, and so uh, Caiaphas um, believed he had the answer. And so the authority of the council was great, but Jesus' authority was still greater because he, was the, he is the Son of God. And that he had the, the backing and the support of the people. And of course, he came uh, to do and to accomplish the will of the Father. You see, they believed that uh, Jesus did do the miracles. They believed that the crowd was following after him. And they believed that uh, the crowd was going to somehow um, make him a king and overthrow their place uh, in government and in their religious system. And so uh, the idea of miracles here is uh, quite obvious. Uh, it really does mean miracle in the Greek word, semion, and is, uh, it is an indication especially not only of supernatural miracle, but a sign or a wonder. And of course we remember in the Old Testament how that many miracles were done by God under the hand of Moses. Uh, and, and so when, the, when, when those miracles were done, those supernatural wonders and, and signs were done, they were incontestable. But yet... In the Old Testament, we know that even though those miracles were great and done in the very presence of people, unbelief was still very much a problem in the hearts of people. They, they rebelled against God, even in, the, even in the face of all the miracles which um, God did for them. And so it should not be any wonder to us here 
that Jesus going about and doing miracles still, those who felt threatened rebelled against the authority of God. Because unbelief is, is, that, uh, is that terrible before God. Unbelief is that bad. And we see this, of course, today, don't we? I mean, there's many people who say they believe in God, but they really do not uh, call upon his name. They do not pray. Uh, they do not um, yield themselves to God in any way. But they live a very worldly and selfish and ambitious life and sinful lives and a life of unbelief, though they claim to have some sense of, of knowledge of God. And uh, we find that today uh, there are many who are living in unbelief who say they know God. And remember, these Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes said they knew God. They, they were supposed to know God. In fact, they, they were supposed to be the teachers and leaders of all of the people of God, the children of God in, in the nation of Israel. And yet they were in unbelief. And yet they were rebelling against Jesus. And so, you see, this... The sense of unbelief uh, it can permeate uh, a society even though they profess some sense that, of the knowledge of God. Also, those in authority often are fearful of losing their power. And, of course, the council, the, San, the Sadducees, the, uh, the Pharisees, basically the scribes and the elders, which are... Uh, also a part of the Sanhedrin, uh, they feared that their power was slipping away. Uh, and so those who were religious and political uh, began to form this plot, if you will, a conspiracy <clears throat> against Christ. And so in verse 48 again, it says, If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. If, if, if we let him alone. If we don't do anything, people are going to just believe on him and they are going to ignore us. You see, they, they have this sense of great fear here. And so their fears were selfish, political, ambitious, and all men will believe on him. Um, it also mentions here in verse 49, and one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation should not perish. So Caiaphas adds these prophetic words to the mix, which begins to inflame even more the desire of the religious rulers to, to kill Christ, to get rid of him. And, uh, and so the, they feared uh, Christ, uh, and they feared the Romans. Back in verse 48 again, he says, The Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. So they had this sense of the fear of the, of the populace. They had this sense of the fear of the Romans. And they had this sense of the fear of Christ and uh, how much power and authority he was gaining. Uh, what does it mean by our place 
and our nation. Well, there's a couple of different views of this, and I'll share them with you. One idea is that our place most likely refers to the temple, and of course, that is very plausible. We know that in 70 AD, Titus came and um, attacked Jerusalem and took it over, and was ultimately they destroyed the temple. Uh, so we know that could possibly be the case. Also, another view is that, um, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. Of course, the the uh, Jesus seemed to undermine Judaism and to leave it a prey to the innovations of Rome. It is uncertain what is meant by the noun place. But here is a couple of possibilities. Mir says it refers to Jerusalem. Luwak in his uh, in his commentary says it refers to the temple and Bengal says that that place and nation are proverbial expressions meaning our all but the, probably the sense, best sense of it is this that it refers to their seat in the Sanhedrin now remember at the Sanhedrin that governing body of the Jews religious order uh, lost their, their power, then the Romans would take it from them. And so that may be the most plausible explanation for our place, as the Sanhedrin seems to be uh, the ones that are most threatened here, as Caiaphas uh, makes this claim. Well, we have to get rid of this fellow. We have to kill him. If we don't, he's going to take away our place and our nation. Uh, the authority that they have and their nation. The nation would be taken over. <clears throat> and so that may be the best possible explanation to that. Uh, secondly, um, as we move on here to verse 49 and following, we find the prophecy of Caiaphas predicts that Jesus must die. He says, um, in this sense, a prophetic word given by God may even come out of the mouth of those who are the enemy of Jesus. What is prophecy? Well, we ought to just look at that a little bit. What is prophecy? Prophecy is revelation from God. The word is propheteo, and uh, it simply means to foretell events, to divine speak under inspiration or exercise prophetic office and so in a sense it can be to foretell as to proclaim because all scripture is of God and we find that it is the job of those who proclaim the word of God to proclaim the revelation of God, which is, in fact, prophecy. Then there is the sense of, of foretelling, uh, telling an event that has not yet happened. And, of course, we see this in many incidents in the Bible where there is this, this foretelling. And you might think, speak, um, you might think immediately of the book of Revelation, but you might go to Daniel, you might go to Ezekiel, you might go even back into the Old Testament and, and find places, uh, such as in the book of Isaiah and others, uh, where there is plenty of 
future telling, uh, prophetic statements being made. Um, and so we have both aspects of it in this, in this one word, this propheteu. Um, and so prophecy by implication is to proclaim a truth given by God as to preach or tell forth a truth or as in this case to foretell future events speaking under the inspiration of God. Now immediately we might say, well, uh, how come Caiaphas gets to do this? Well, remember Caiaphas is in a high priest's office position. And uh, someone who is in that position, God can use as a spokesperson for his own purposes. Um, who's going to listen to a little shepherd boy out in the field unless he happens to be anointed by Samuel? Nobody. But if, he, if, if somebody is in an office um, and God wants to use that person, well, they have a bigger voice. And, uh, and so we find that sometimes this is the case, uh, that God, God uses people in his own way. So this prophecy um, is a good example, a, and a good example of that, of that proclamation we might find of proclaiming the gospel is in 1 Timothy 4.14. It says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Now, typically it was viewed that when, when the presbytery, when those who were uh, spiritual came together uh, to um, anoint, if you will, or, or ordain someone to ministry, they were recognizing them in ministry that they might have the uh, privilege of the proclamation of the scripture. In other words, all scripture given by inspiration of God. Um, if you've ever been to an ordination council, um, ordination councils typically uh, have someone who is a candidate for for a for preaching. They've perhaps they've gone to school, or perhaps they have studied thoroughly and given themselves wholly to to studies in the scriptures and they feel like they're called to the ministry and so the ordination council this group of pastors will get together and they will they will examine the candidate to see if they are worthy of being um, a preacher of the gospel and so they question the candidate thoroughly and then as he as this person is uh, recognized to be gifted in in um, the scriptures and with a great zeal and a desire to to preach the word of God then um, at some point they gather around him they lay their hands upon him and have a prayer of um, ordination if you would that they that they believe that this man is truly called of God to go and to proclaim the scriptures and so this 1 Timothy 4.14 has that kind of a sense to it, although it can't perhaps be exactly described as I just said, but it is uh, similar. Um, another example of this utterance may be in 2 Peter 1.19. We, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, 
as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. And so here is the more sure word of prophecy, the revelation of God that is given to man that otherwise man might know that it is, uh, it is that which shines into the darkness and that it lightens the hearts of men. <coughs> Excuse me, in Second Peter 1.20 it says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. <coughs> well, here we are simply told that prophecy is not a private thing in the sense that it is only from a person. It is from God. It is from God. And so in the, next, in the very next verse we are told in Second Peter 121, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so we find that God confirms uh, his word, his revelation, unto those that are called for that purpose. And, uh, and then we refer perhaps to 2 Timothy 3.16 where it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so the key element to this is that all scripture is inspired of God. Um, we are not inspired in the sense that this verse is talking about. We, are, we receive illumination, perhaps, that our, that our hearts are quickened and made aware of the Word of God, but we don't come up with any new revelation on our own, you see. God does the revelation, and He has confirmed those things in His Word. And that becomes prophecy, either in proclaiming that revelation which he has revealed, or it becomes prophecy in foretelling in a future aspect, as the prophets of old did do. <clears throat> and so in John 18, 14, uh, John says here, Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. So this prophecy that we're talking about, the prophecy of Caiaphas, it came through Caiaphas, but it was not of Caiaphas. It wasn't, of, it, it, it wasn't his private interpretation. It wasn't his private thing. No, God used him. He was in that office that year. And this is believed to be somewhere around A.D. 18 to A.D. 36. Uh, that was the the period of time that Caiaphas was in in power, that the Romans probably uh, made sure he was in power during that period of time. He was in favor of the Roman government, no doubt. He was uh, he was uh, being used by Roman authorities to help to solidify the authority of Rome among the Sanhedrin. And so we find that uh, he was intertwined with Rome. In John 11.50, uh, as we see here, 
nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. The whole nation perish not. So sometimes uh, the very thing that man means for evil is the same that God means to accomplish his purpose. And, and in this particular case, um, Caiaphas wanted Jesus dead. Um, so did the Sanhedrin. But Jesus and God was to, was wanted to fulfill his purposes, and so he even used this man as a spokesman for him in this sense of this, of this prediction. Um, and so examples of prophetic fulfillment through sinful hands of men may be some of the following. First of all, the crew of a ship sailing from Joppa threw a prophet overboard to destroy him and to save themselves, only to fulfill the word of God by the prophet Jonah to call Nineveh to repentance. Little did the crew know that God was going to bring the prophet back from the ocean in the belly of a whale, spit him out on the ground, send him to Nineveh, and use him to accomplish his purposes, you see. But the crew, the evil crew, who were probably um, idolaters, threw him overboard. Yet God used them to help to accomplish his own purpose <laughs> in bringing repentance to Nineveh. <laughs> A proud and arrogant pharaoh in Egypt is used to fulfill the word of God by his servant Moses saying, let my people go. And of course we all know that story very well. And of course uh, Pharaoh remained proud and arrogant and his heart was hardened, yet God used him to accomplish his purposes. An unholy prophet for filthy lucre was paid to curse Israel, but God would not allow him. Instead, he was used to bless the children of God. Every time that uh, Balaam thought he was going to, Balak thought he was going to send Balaam out to, to curse Israel, it turned out to be a blessing on Israel. Of course, the, there, there was a downfall later, there was a great temptation and certain sinful relationships resulted. But if you read the account of Balaam, um, he finally was killed in battle. And Balaam was a, a prophet of Midian. He wasn't really even a prophet per se of God, but used by God. And so um, the words of God the revelation of God came out of the mouth of a worldly or an ungodly prophet. And of course we find Caiaphas. He seems to be the subject matter at hand. What happened here? Caiaphas being the high priest of the Sadducees, the son-in-law of Annas, spoke the word of God in prophecy concerning Christ through Though, for evil intentions, wanted to see him killed, he, with the counsel of the Sanhedrin, would fulfill that part of the word of God that Isaiah spoke. And what was that? 
but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed Caiaphas saw to it that Jesus would be killed even as it was predicted and prophesied but yet the very sovereign purposes of God was for that to happen that Isaiah's words might be fulfilled on the cross and so evil intentions of men when they fulfill God's purpose are under the sovereign direction of the Almighty to fulfill his word now there's no sense for us to try to figure out everything God is doing Um, little minds are not that good but when we find it in the scripture and when we see it on the written page of the word of God we can recognize it for what it is and so let us take heart and realize that God's word will come to pass to every jot and tittle every prophecy of the word of God in fact Matthew 5.18 says for verily I say unto you till heaven and earth pass one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass the grass withereth and the flower fadeth but the word of our God shall stand forever that's in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 Isaiah 51.6 Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look upon the earth beneath for the heavens shall vanish away like smoke and the earth shall wax old like a garment and they that dwell therein shall die in like manner but my salvation shall be forever and my righteousness shall not be abolished the salvation and the righteousness of, are of God and they are known to us through the word of God and they shall never be abolished. First Peter one twenty five. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached to you. Now that should be a great comfort and hope to your hearts. To know that when we are preaching the word of God. It is that word of God which endureth forever. It is that which is being preached to you. Thirdly, Jesus' death was to gather in one the children of God. In John chapter 11, verse 52, And not for the nation only, but that he should gather together in one the children of God that are scattered abroad, And so we find that this particular prophecy that Jesus would die, predicted that he should die, it is expedient that he should die, for the nation. For the nation. This is also a common word, we might say. The word nation is ethnos. And you might think of the word ethnicity. Sometimes you hear that word quite a bit, ethnicity. Ethnos, it comes from ethnos nation and so uh, when we look at this we have to realize that it's not talking about just the nation of Israel in both places where this word nation is used it is the same ethnos and it means by implication 
a race, a tribe, a foreign one, pagan, Gentile, heathen, nation, people. In other words, it can mean both Jew and Gentile. It is, he is not, this, this prophecy is not predicting just, just the Jewish nation. As some might say, well, immediately, well, he's just talking about the nation of Israel and gathering all together in one in the Jewish nation. That's not the case. The word isn't that exclusive. It can mean both Jew and Gentile, and does mean both Jew and Gentile. And it is of ethnicity having to do with a people, a race, a tribe, uh, whether foreign or pagan or Gentile. And so as we recognize that, we find that uh, John uh, expands by this, by the inspiration of God, saying, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. And so, yes, Jews were scattered abroad. In fact, we find that some of the epistles were written to the dispersion, those who were scattered abroad. But uh, we find that the idea here is not just the Jewish people, that it is Gentile-like. And there is plenty of scripture uh, to support that view. In John 11:51, and this he spake, and this spake he not of himself. I find that's an interesting statement to make here as well in verse 51. And this spoke he not of himself. Speaking of Caiaphas, but being but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for the nation. You see, so the scriptures uh, by inspiration comes out and says, well. Uh, Caiaphas didn't come up with this on his own. No. Uh, but he did speak these words. And so they have the same prophetic impact as they are meant to have. And they are words that Jesus should die for that nation. Verse 52, And not for that nation only. And so as much as the word ethnos isn't restricted just to the Jewish people, John, under the inspiration of the scripture, also points out not for that nation only, revealing that it is the plural aspect of ethnicity that he is talking about here. In verse 52, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that are scattered abroad. And so the whole idea of the children of God is one which can be um, opened up as well. In Isaiah 49, 6, and he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel that nation, I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mightest be my salvation unto the ends of the earth. So there you have it. Isaiah spoke the same words in a different way. That the children of God should be gathered together unto one, 
of Jew and also of the Gentiles. In John 10:16, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, but them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Jesus speaking, of course, as the good shepherd of the sheep. And as much as he loved his own people, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become, or to be called, the children of God, or the sons of God. In John 1, 12. In Ephesians 2, 14, For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of petition, between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby in himself, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. The sense of ethnicity, or nation, or one people, whether Jew or Gentile, is accomplished through the death of Christ, and the salvation of God, which cannot be denied. In 1 John 2, 2, And he is our propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The sense of world, nations, ethnicity, ethnos, the world of people. And so we find that Caiaphas' words spoken were words truly prophetic. And they did speak to the inspired scripture which has already been given, whether it be in Isaiah or elsewhere. And Jesus' death was to gather in one the children of God. Now we know they did conspire together to kill Jesus. Verse 53, Then from that day forth they took counsel together to put him to death. Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews, but went from there unto a country near to the wilderness, into a city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples. And so um, Jesus knew that his time was near, yet the time was in the hands of the Father, and not in the hands of those who plotted and schemed against them. So as much as we think... Oh, he, you know, Jesus fell prey to those who schemed against him. That is not the case. In fact, on many occasions, they tried to capture him and they couldn't do it. And if they wouldn't capture him until the time came for them to do so. Remember, it was in the garden while he was praying. Remember, he was there and he knew that Judas went out from them when they were in the upper room and he went out to betray them and he knew Judas was going to tell them where they went where Jesus and the disciples went and so they came looking for Jesus right where Judas told them he would be with full with Jesus full knowledge 
that Judas was going to do this. And so Jesus now leaves the area of Bethany and Jerusalem for a small outlying area called Ephraim. As we see here in verse 54, Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews, but went from there unto a country near to the wilderness into a city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples. Now, just exactly where Ephraim is is a little bit in question. Um, it's, there's different uh, spellings of the same word in the various manuscripts. One spelling is Ephraim, one is Ephraim, one is Ephraim, one is Ephratah, and that is thought to be near Bethel, and it might have been a place called Ophra. Uh, so there's some question, but most commentators believe it was, it was about 20 miles north of Jerusalem, between 15 and 20 miles north of Jerusalem, or what might be considered a day's journey on foot. But uh, no matter, uh, he, he went there because it was more secluded and he could find some time away uh, with, his, with the disciples as he awaited the hour that the Lord had prescribed for him. And so we find that uh, Jesus must seek God's will so he withdraws again as at previous times. In John 7, 1, it says, After these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought him. And so this was common for Christ. He would go into the temple in Jerusalem for a period of time, and then he would go off into a more secluded private area for a while. Uh, and, and this was the same case. Formerly he went into Galilee, this time he goes unto Ephraim, and there he remains for a period of time until the Passover was nigh. Verse 55, and the Jews' Passover was near at hand, and many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. So he gives an explanation of that event. Verse 56, then sought they for Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. So here's all these, these religious rulers. They're back to, in Jerusalem now. They're at the temple, and they're talking amongst themselves. And what are they saying? What? Think ye that he will not come to the feast? Of course he'll come. They're just waiting for the opportunity, right? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment. And what did they tell the people? If any man knew where he were, he should show it that they might take him. God's word remains true, even if evil men scheme to seemingly overthrow the will of God. But they cannot overthrow the will of God. Because all prophecy is given by God, all true prophecy whether it is prophecy that is being proclaimed in the preaching of the word of God, thought divinely inspired of God, even such as I am doing right now, proclaiming the word of God, which is a type of prophecy. But it is not, it is not future telling, which I am doing. 
But we do find in the scripture future telling prophecy. Of course, Caiaphas did it at this particular juncture, somewhere between 18 and 36 AD. But we find, of course, it was probably near up, nearer to 30 AD, right? Because Jesus would have died at about 30, at the age of 30. But we find that there are yet future prophecies in the scripture that have not yet been fulfilled, but will, because all prophecy is of God. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for your word to us today, and pray, Lord, you will encourage our hearts and edify us in faith to remember that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture is the prophecy of God, is the revelation of God to man. It is that scripture which will forever endure because salvation is of the Lord and his word cannot fail. So we thank you and praise you, our Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.